Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I just want to take a quick minute to talk to you about my Patreon campaign. This campaign is here solely for the purpose of helping to make the broken meeple better than it ever was before. As you already know, I'm trying to resurrect my YouTube channel, but I also want to improve how the written reviews are done, how the podcast is done, improve the equipment, improve the site. I want to make the broken meeple as good as it can be for you people. So, if you can please help out in any way, then please visit the Patreon page, The Broken Meeple, and donate as much as you feel like. It can be as much as you like, it can be as low as a dollar a month. Every little bit helps, and I greatly appreciate the time that you take to listen to this podcast, to read to my reviews, and to just generally be a great part of the board gaming community. Okay, on with the show. This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. The Broken Meeple, Season 2, Episode 11, Gamers. Bit of a tongue-in-cheek episode for you today, everyone. This time it is my top 10 annoying gamers. This is not gamers that make me angry. I don't get angry very often, if at all. But those little quirks that some gamers have that can sometimes just irk you the wrong way at times. Again, not singling anyone out. This is purely tongue-in-cheek, and I might even be guilty of some of these at times. But hopefully, this will provide you with a few good laughs. Hi everyone, thanks for listening and hope you're all well. Today is the 6th of May 2017 and it is gorgeous sun outside. Hopefully it will stay that way for the next week because I'm going to be out of action for a few days while I enjoy some time down in the West Country in Devon with some friends of mine who are into gaming. It should be a nice week off work, a chance for me to just sort of kick back and relax. Now, of course, you'll see me put up some photos of games that we play during the week and I do have one or two reviews that hopefully I can get scheduled for during the week as well, so that you've got something to read until I get back. But I'll be back on the Friday, because I need to run my Portsmouth Gaming Convention PopCon on the Saturday, the 13th of May. I hope that if any of you live in the Portsmouth area, you can join me and lots of other gamers for that convention. But if not, well, that's not a problem. But I gotta get back, you know, duty calls and all that. Just a few other updates before we get started quickly. I'm reaching a bit of a breakthrough point with the video side of things. I've been tinkering around with the software I'm going to use and I'm starting to get the hang of some of the cool effects that I can do with it. You know, like transitions and, you know, special animations and that kind of thing. I don't want to make the videos too complex because it'll take forever to edit, but you need to be able to put something in there so it's not just a simple video of somebody droning on for 20 minutes. But, I've managed to get to a point where I think, right, okay, all I need now is that last bit of equipment, and I have recently ordered myself a new lens for my camera, which should set a balance between the two things that I'm having trouble with right now. Those two things being the light and the narrowness of the room I'm in. The previous lens that I've got, which I like using for normal photography, which is a nifty 50, 50mm, uh, 1.8 aperture lens, is great. But it doesn't quite work in my room for the videos because unfortunately, as much as the 1.8 aperture is perfect for what I need, 50 millimeters means that you are pretty much zoomed up to my face. 
and that makes for a weird looking video. Nobody wants to see my face up close, let's face it. And what I've now done is ordered a 24mm 1.8 aperture. It's an old lens, but I've managed to get a second-hand one off eBay. And hopefully, as long as the eBay seller keeps his side of the bargain, that will arrive. And then I will be able to use that lens because the 1.8 aperture allows more light into the camera. And that's, you know, something I need to do whilst I'm in an indoor room with the light panels I've got. But 24mm, I have worked out, is the perfect focal length to get myself, the chair, uh, whatever game I happen to be showing and whatever's in the background without just overloading you with too much stuff. So, fingers crossed, that's the lens I'm after. We'll give it some tests when I get it in. And then hopefully, if that's all, all, if that all works, then we'll be well on the way to finally getting the first sort of trailer video out just to explain a bit about me, what I do and what the purpose of the channel is going to be. And hopefully from them, we'll start getting videos out. So, rest assured, I'm still working on it, but it's coming. It's really coming. A few little mini announcements of where I'm going to be over the next month or so. Obviously, like I hope many of you are in the UK, I will be at the UK Games Expo. Hopefully I'll get a chance to help out the Dice Tower do their thing while they're there. I'm looking forward to seeing them again. But of course, I look forward to seeing all the other UK board game content creators, you know, like Breacher18.com and, you know, Paul Grogan and Polyhedron Collider, you know, and many, many more that in the UK that engage with the community and I love them the bits. But also, I look forward to playing some games with some of you, meeting some of you in person. Feel free to just come up, say hi, shake my hand, whatever you want to do. Well, don't punch me in the face if you can help it, but, you know, whatever folks your boat, I guess. But if you ask really nicely, I'll give you a hug. So, you know, I'm a huggy person, so i got no problem with that. But I'm really looking forward to the UK Games Expo. I do every year. I think it's a fantastic convention that is run so well by the people who do it. And it's just getting better and better every year, especially since we moved into the NEC Centre and took it just, you know, took some of it out of the Hilton Hotel. That increase in space has done wonders for the convention. And like I say, cannot wait to be there. So I will see you in early June for that. I don't know of any other conventions I'll be at right now. I might sign up at the last minute to Manicon. I'm not entirely sure. It's a bit of a distance to travel, but I will consider that one nearer the time if there's still any tickets left. But there will be a couple of very interesting podcast appearances that I'll be doing. First off, I was approached by Jason Perez and Anthony Chatfield from the formerly known Table for One podcast. I say formerly known as Table for One, I believe they are now known as Every Night is Game Night podcast, and they tend to specialise in solo games. They occasionally divulge into other things, but mostly they're about games that you can play solo. Well, we got speaking on a Facebook post when we were talking about solo games in general, and they very kindly approached me and asked if I wanted to do a top 10 video with, sorry, top 10 podcast with them for top 10 solo games. Fantastic, because to be fair, I was already talking to someone at the time saying that I was going to do a top 10 solo games now instead of this episode. So when they approached me and said, you know, we can do a top 10 podcast like the Dice Tower do and talk about solo games, Sign me up. I love doing these things with other people because you get to banter with them about their choices. I'm not expecting many like, oh, I can't believe you picked that sort of choices, but I reckon there won't be as much crossover as you think. I've certainly got some very interesting titles I like to play solo that I bet won't be on their lists. But this is booked for, I believe, we're going to record it around the third week of May. And obviously, I've now got to edit it, which means it's going to take a little bit of time to get the episode out. But hopefully, all should work well, and that will be hopefully published at some point, maybe early June, maybe after the UK Games Expo. But I'll try to get that out as quick as I can. But I'm looking forward to that episode. I reckon it will be a really good, fun episode. 
On top of that, I've been invited to appear on the We're Not Wizards podcast with Richard Simpson, and we'll be recording that at some point in early to mid-June. So a couple of nice little collaborations for podcasts happening in the future. And of course, I love talking with other UK content creators, so and even you know American podcast creators as well, obviously. So I'm more than up for sharing podcast time, video time, whatever it is with other people, as long as we get to basically have a laugh and talk about board games or even card games. You know, I'm into Arkham Horror LCG and stuff like that. It'd be great to meet up with some of you that do as well and talk about that sort of thing. So there's all sorts of things I'd like to do. But for now, like I say, UK Games Expo, the We're Not Wizards podcast and the Every Night is Board Game Night podcast. They're the three major developments on the horizon. So Hopefully, I'll get more information to you about those as things go on. And finally, before I get onto the top 10 list, just a couple of little other collaborations that I've got involved with now. Um, you will see me doing the occasional review for the Chaos Cards newsletter that they send out because I've, you know, approached them and said, you know, do you want someone to help out on the review front? And Chaos Cards very kindly said, yeah, you know, we can do something. And I will now be sort of doing an occasional review for their newsletter that they'll pub- that they'll publish out, and hopefully that will lead you on to some interesting games. But also, I do suggest that you take a look at their brick and mortar store that they've got now down in Folk is it is it pronounced Folkestone in Kent, basically on the south coast of the UK, and they recently opened on the 29th of April. I've yet to pay them a visit because it is a bit of a journey, but at some point I'll just find an excuse to go down to Folkestone for a little bit and pop along to the store. But certainly if you're in that area, if you want a local gaming store that's, you know, run by some pretty interesting people, then go ahead, pop down to that store and see what you find. And finally, you will see me do the occasional guest review on zatu.co.uk, Z-A-T-U. This is a relatively new board game website that sells games, but also does a lot of social media publications and articles. They get people in to do guest reviews and guest articles, etc., and I decided that, you know, you know what, I'd like to do some guest reviews for them as well. So basically, I'll be doing guest reviews for several people in the future. You know, I still do the occasional thing for Games Quest, I, you know, and Chaos Cards will be a new one, and Azatu will be a new one. So you might see me on occasional other platforms. But of course, predominantly, everything's on my blog, everything's on my podcast. So that sort of stuff's not going to change. Anyway, that's enough rabbiting on. Let's get on with what you're really here for. To hear me talk, slash rant about top 10 annoying gamers. Okay, as I said at the start of this episode, this is a very tongue-in-cheek top 10. The Dice Tower did this on one of their videos, their live ones at the convention, and I thought it was hilarious, and I knew I wanted to do this list at some point anyway, but I thought I'd give it a bit of time. Now, we do not single out any people for these particular traits. I am not talking about 10 traits that make me physically angry. Because if you know me, I rarely get angry. You know, people who know me, when was the last time you saw me actually yell out in anger? It just doesn't really happen. I mean, I can rant and I can, you know, dis, you know, talk bad about a game that I don't like or stuff like that. You know, that's just me. You know, but you don't really see me angry. And these traits don't necessarily make me angry either. And I'm not saying that if you display any of these traits that I don't like you now or I don't want to game with you. Because to be fair, 
I'd be naive if I didn't think that I didn't exhibit one or two of these traits on occasion just without even realising it. We all do, nobody's perfect. But like I said, that's why this is a bit tongue-in-cheek. This is more just the sort of, these are quirks that tend to irk me during games if I see them exhibited. Some are worse than others, some are pretty, like, nitpicky. But, you know, hopefully this will provide you with a few good laughs, and I suspect you might even agree with some of these in general. First off, just a couple of honourable mentions that didn't quite make the list, that they sort of made my 11 and 12 when I was doing the cut. And first off, the smartphoner. The smartphoner, I am probably guilty of on several occasions, because I do share stuff on social media a lot, so therefore I will be on the smartphone every now and again. But I like to at least try and do it so that it's not my turn when I'm using the smartphone, or I have already thought of my strategy for the next turn before I actually get it out and start using it. But what I don't like is when people will use their smartphone continuously throughout a game so they're not paying attention to anything, like, you know, the social interaction is for some reason not good enough for you, and will do it right before their turn, and then as soon as it is their turn, they put the phone away and it's like, right, what happened then? <sighs> Why didn't you pay attention, eh? That's a little minor thing, though, because I have to admit, I'm guilty of the smartphone thing every now and again, but I try to be respectful to the people that I'm playing the game with. And then the other honourable mention is more just a quirk at a friend of mine, and this is the person who can't learn the game until they read the rulebook. I don't know exactly know what to call this person, really. I don't know, the, the rulebook, the bookworm, maybe. Maybe I'll call them that. But basically, I teach a lot of games to people, and some people learn in different styles. Some will prefer to just get on with the game. Obviously, you can't do that all the time. Some will listen to instructions and get it, and then just take a few turns to get in, and that's perfect. But I have one friend, and she won't listen to this podcast, but I also know a few other people like this as well, where they can only learn a game if they read the rule book. So trying to teach them a game is a complete nightmare because they will not be able to understand anything that you say to them because they would rather read it from the book, which means that they're learning at a different pace to everybody else, and it means that you can't, you know, they'll forget certain things or they'll take longer to read the rules because obviously the rule book is a huge plethora of text and people are trying to teach it in a more summarized format. It's a minor little nitpick, but I just found that quite amusing because I know some people that are like that and it's just like, come on, I can teach you the game. Why do you have to read the book? And it's a minor one, so that's why it didn't really make the list. Anyway, on with number 10. But number 10, and I'm going to do my best to give these people names, not like real names, but like a name for the type of trait I'm on about. This one is an easy one, everybody's seen this person before, and it's what I call the, well, it's what everyone calls the min-maxer. Now, there are people who can be slow during games or can take a while to do their turn, that's fine, up to a point. But this min-maxer is the person who wants to eke the game out for every single possible point that the game can offer. They are obsessed with topping high score lists everywhere. They are obsessed with beating you, not just simply by a couple of points. No, they want to demolish you. They want to f absolutely trash you by a million points and show off their superiority over you. These guys can get pretty annoying because with these ones, they will take longer on their turns because they're obsessed with the score that they can do. They're not, they're not comfortable with just simply winning. It has to be demolish. And this can be really painful to some people when they know they've already lost the game. You know, it's like you're literally a couple of turns away from the game ending. You know you can't beat this guy. And it's like, yeah, fair enough. And some people will call it early. It's like, you know, well done. 
perfect, you win, excellent, let's move on with the next game. And they'll be like, no, 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 I want to, uh, just, I just need to, if I can get two more points there, maybe I can get three there. It's like, you win! Alright, it's like, you can't drill it into their heads enough that the game is over and they've won. Nope, they must get every last point. They must literally, you know, ring the board out of every last drip of points that they can get. I mean, do not play point salad games with these people because, oh my god, that is a complete nightmare. All these points that you can possibly get and they try to think of every single combination of points that they can get and choose the min-max one. It's like, just don't. Just play the game. Have a laugh, and if you win, congrats, but who cares whether you got 100 points or 150? Are people really that obsessed with being the top of a scoreboard somewhere on Board Game Geek just to say, oh, you know, I, I played this game and I got 150 points, yeah, that's the highest anybody can get, no way, nobody can beat me, I am the best, oh yes, yeah, yeah, get off your ivory tower, mate, okay? You know, you won, great, get on with it, it's only a game, as I keep saying, so... That's my number 10, the min-maxer. My number 9 is an easy one to name, and that is what I call the Destroyer. Now, these board games are not cheap, and they're certainly not getting any cheaper. I mean, if you've seen board game prices in the last year or so, oh, blimey, they're getting expensive now. And I don't just mean the ones with a ton of miniatures, I mean just... Typical little board games are suddenly getting really expensive, so the hobby is now becoming more pricey than it ever was. So when you play someone else's board game, show them a little bit of respect. You know, understand that this is not just Monopoly. You can't just go to the local, you know, Asda and buy it for a fiver in some weird edition. No, 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 these games are going to be expensive. They're going to be hard to get hold of. Some of them will be out of print, and so they are almost priceless, that you will never be able to get hold of them ever again. So please, when you are handling their components, when you are shuffling their cards, when you are doing anything around the table that involves anything greasy or messy like eating food or drinking drink, be respectful to their game. The destroyer is the person who literally has no contemplation for anybody else's property. They will be licking their fingers constantly and then rubbing it onto the cards. They'll be bending the card like halfway so you get that crease that just... It flops down in sadness, and you, you, they'll be doing all sorts of things to basically dent your game in whatever way possible. And they may not even realize they're doing it, and if they do, shame on them, don't play games with them. But yeah, these games are not cheap, it's not five bucks. You are actively, you know, messing up someone else's property. You know, I don't go around your place and say, oh, you know, we can play on your Xbox and then start bashing the controller on the armrest just to make a point. Uh, you know, and oh, uh, oh, I love playing this Xbox with you, mate. Oh, yeah, let me just get these cheesy nachos. And, mm, mm, oh, yeah, there's a, oh, there's a little bit of my fingers there. Yeah, just rub it in the trigger button there. You know, no. So the same applies to board games. And this can irk me, especially if it's my games. You know, I get a few review copies, and, you know, it's not the end of the world if a review copy gets dented. I mean, hell, most of the review copies I get are slightly dented already because, well, wouldn't you send a dented copy if you were sending that review once? I digress. But ones that I've bought, Paid a good amount of money for? You know, show a bit of respect. It's somebody else's property at the end of the day. So, number nine, the destroyer. This one, I can't really think of a name to do with this one, but I don't know, the, the man of retribution, I guess, or the guy obsessed with revenge. 
But basically, you'll be playing a game and you'll carry on for the first couple of turns and you will think, hmm, I could take that, I could take this, I could take that spot. Uh, you know what? Actually, I feel like I need this spot. And somebody else suddenly pipes up and goes, that was what I was going to take. You've just messed me over. And then from that point on, they make it their whole mission in life, their own goal, their sort of mystical, you know, mystical quest even to destroy you in every way possible. These are the people who literally just hold a grudge throughout the whole game and even for the meta onwards. And, you know, the game has ended. You don't need to follow it on to the next game. But no, you might do them over in some way. Like maybe you play a card that actively hurts a player and you just have to pick somebody on the table. You know, there's nobody in particular. Or it may be a case of, yeah, somebody else might be winning. But it's like, well, if I play it on him, that helps me more to catch him up. So, you know, it's better to play it on them. But as soon as you touch them in any dodgy way, as soon as you basically just lightly flick something nasty at them, their whole goal in the game is to ruin your day and to ruin your life, and possibly more besides. These people are the ones who will stalk you after the game for daring to do anything nasty to them in the game. You know, don't play games like Survive Escape from Atlantis with these people, because as soon as you send one little shark after one of their dudes, suddenly all the known creatures of the oceans will be after your people and nobody else's. Does my head in when I see this, because at the end of the day, it's a game you're all trying to win. It's not like we're singling you out because we just don't like you. This is just part of the game. And if you can't take a little bit of punishment in a game, you know, I mean, I don't like games that are completely punishing, but if you can't accept that occasionally something bad has got to happen to you in a game, then you shouldn't really be playing games because, well, if you are going to play games, they're going to have to be Really, really nice, friendly games. And there's only so many of those around. So, number eight, the Revenger, the Retributor. I don't know. I can't think of a word for it. But basically, guy who holds a grudge. Number seven goes back to my, you know, my obsession with teaching games to new people. But if you're going to, you know, somebody has to take the effort and the time to teach you a game. They're doing their best to summarize it in a way that you can understand so that, you know, that you can enjoy this time. They're effectively putting time aside to teach you about something that you've not seen before. So when somebody is, you know, teaching you the rules to the game, pay attention! Seriously. Um, this can link to the smartphone thing from earlier, but it can link to other distractions as well. I mean, I mean, what would you call this guy? The, the squirrel guy, I suppose? You know, the guy who's literally like, oh yeah, I get that rule, yeah, that squirrel. And, and is instantly distracted by something else. Because you will explain these rules to everybody, and everybody will understand them, except this one person who will constantly just sit there and not pay attention. So that later on in the game, you know, you'll... They'll try to do something, it's like, ah oh, yes, I can now put ten of these ships on this space and it'll all be great. You, you can't put more than five on a space like that. We told you that at the start. It's like, you, you did not tell me that. And now my whole strategy is ruined. I would not have done anything I did this game if I just, if I did not know that. And you try to explain to them and they'll have none of it. They'll just assume that you were bad at rules teaching or that you didn't explain it properly and they will hold themselves in such high regard and basically be miserable for the rest of the game. All because they couldn't just sit there and shut up while the rules were being taught. But everybody else got it. They're the ones that didn't. 
So when they sit up and complain about, you know, oh, you didn't explain that rule and now everything's ruined. When there's four of you sitting at the table and one of you is the only person who didn't remember that rule, then the only person to blame is you. So pay attention when we teach you the game. My number six can irk me quite a bit, but I don't tend to see this type of player around much, certainly not in my local groups, which is a good thing because these can these people can ruin cooperative games for people. And some people don't like playing cooperative games purely because they've had a bad experience with this kind of person. So I like to make it my mission in life to never be this person in any cooperative game. And that is the alpha player. The alpha player is the person who will pretty much dictate your turns for you. You'll be playing something like Pandemic, for example, and you'll basically be deciding, well, you know, I could do that on my turn, or I could do this, and the alpha player will simply step in and go, no, 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 you should do this. Right, next player. Like, literally take your turn for you. So if the alpha player is going to do that constantly, what is the point of you sitting at the table and playing this game? They do my head in, because I don't tend to see it too often when I'm on the learning side, but I certainly do my best. I mean, I hope I've never like slipped at one point, but I hate thinking that I would ever be an alpha player. If I'm teaching co-ops to people, and bear in mind, co-ops are my favorite genre of games, I will give you the options, but I will let you make the decisions. I mean, I'll give you suggestions. It's a co-op game at the end of the day. But let's say we're playing Flashpoint Fire Rescue. That's one of my favorite co-op games to teach. Now, in Flashpoint Fire Rescue, there are ways that I might say, you know, okay, if I was doing it personally, I'd do this. But everything you do in Flashpoint Fire Rescue, other than literally just standing there like a lemon, is pretty useful in the game. So you could basically list out all the options for a player who's new. You know, you can tackle this fire. You can go rescue the cat or the dog. All right, let's not be uh, specific here. You can go get this hazardous material and get it out. You can go drive the fire truck and put out some more fires. You can run around and try and find out what those question marks are. You can pretty much do whatever you like in Flashpoint Fire Rescue, and it will still contribute to the team's efforts. So I'll give you the list of actions, but I'll let you choose. You get to decide what firefighter you are. I don't. I can just give you suggestions, but you make the decisions. But when you get some of these alpha players who literally just want to be the general of the game and think that the only way that they are going to win is if you listen to them and listen to them only, that ruins a co-op game for me. It ruins a co-op game for anybody. Don't be like the, you know, the Marxist general of your game. Let people make their own decisions. And if you lose the co-op game as a result, then you can tell them, you know, what to improve on or what went wrong if you're so inclined to do that. But otherwise, just accept that you will lose some co-op games. It's not about beating the game all the time. It's about having a good time with people. And people will not have a good time in your co-op game if you are constantly bullying them into doing what you want to do and not what they want to do. My number five, I don't think is going to appear on a lot of other people's lists who do this, but Tom Vassell said this in his one, and I think he was the only one who said it, but I'm surprised it doesn't come up more often, and this is what we call the inviter. As reviewers, we'll want to play games at certain player counts, we know in our groups the slow players, the annoying players, the whiny players, you know, that sort of thing, and of course, you know, we want to tailor games to a certain extent. 
The inviter is the person who will join your game and then systematically try to invite every other person in the club to fill up space in your game. It's not like there's a shortage of games, people. If people turn up and there's still space in your game, then they can still pick another game and play a game between the two of them, or something else. You do not have to fill up every slot in a board game just to fill up the spaces. Now, I know that sounds a little contradictory to the whole thing of, you know, I want player interaction and stuff, but we all know that there's a lot of board games out there where publishers put that fifth player on the game literally just to sell copies. There is no reason to have a fifth player in a game. Some games, there's no reason to have a fourth player. There are some that just don't work when you max out the players, and yet the inviter is the person who will literally just just drag people off the street if they have to, because they are obsessed with filling in every last slot without realizing that sometimes that can destroy a game. There are plenty like that. I hate playing Smash Up with four people, so I only want to cap it at three. Five tribes, I only want to play it with a max of three players. Most Euro games, you don't want to play with most players because it just takes too long to finish the game. I always think free is a sweet spot for any Euro game, but nope. Some people are like, oh yeah, we could play Le Havre, that would be a good one. Yep, we got three people, yeah, this is going to be good fun. Oh, but what about these two? Yeah, well, come in, come into this game. It's like, have you ever played Le Havre with five players? No, no, I'm sure it'll be fine. We'll get it done in no time. Four hours later, and we're barely halfway through the game. No. Just, you know, I know it sounds a bit contradictory, but it's just, this one can irk me, because every time they invite another player in, it's not like they invite someone who you know could easily get through the game. No, they'll always invite the min-maxer, the slow player, the person who's never played a Euro game in his life, and suddenly you're going to teach them the half. You know, it's, I've had some bad experiences with the inviter before. I mean, the, I'll... The first game I ever played at Concordia, I mean, you already know how much I hate that game, but the first time I played it was at the UK Games Expo, and we were going to play it with three of us. I'd never seen it before, so it was like, okay, three players, that's a good amount for a Euro game. And then the inviter in the group decides to bring in two random people who have never played Euros before and sit them down in a five-player Concordia game. Oh my god, it took a lot of willpower for me to play Concordia ever again after that, just to get it suitable for review purposes. But, oh, that nearly destroyed my experience of playing this whopping long game of the Concordia with five people who were slow as anything. It was horrible. So, this is certain. maybe this should have even been further up the list, the amount I'm ranting about it. But yeah, the inviter can sometimes tank a game for you out of the goodness of their heart without even realising it, which is why it's such a slightly controversial one to have, but it does happen, and sometimes you just have to accept that some games are better with some empty slots. My number four really drives me nuts when I'm teaching a game, and this is what I call the backseat teacher. The backseat teacher is the person who will constantly chime in with random rules every time you're trying to explain the game to new people because they remember a rule that they sort of remember and they just want to chime in and feel like they're important. But this can really be annoying because, for starters, it interrupts your flow and also it confuses new players because you'll be teaching them a logical sequence, you know, like, this is what the game's about, this is what you're trying to achieve, right, here's the phases of the game, here's the turn sequence, you know, and you do it in a logical path. But every other minute, these people will chime in with some random rule that just has no relevance here, or is something that's going to get explained later. It's like, 
you know, oh, right on the second phase, there's combat. And it's like, oh yeah, and if you do the combat, you know, you know, this sort of thing can happen and like that. And it's like, dude, I'll get to combat later. They don't need to know that right now. You know, can I keep teaching? Sweet. And, and they'll come up with some really random stuff as well. Like, particularly if they've seen like the errata or something like that for a game. Or oh, it gets even worse at that point, you know. Is that, alright, and on phase three, this is where you place your meeples out on the board in order to claim these huts and that for points. Oh, but did you know that on Tuesday, on the 17th of every month, uh, as long as it is a full moon and there is uh, free chickens out there by the sidewalk, this, pers- this position on the board is now closed. They don't need to know that, so just leave it out. You know, just take a seat. If you know the game already, then you don't necessarily have to listen to the rules explanation, but don't just chime in trying to... I know you're possibly just trying to help, but... Honestly, it just gets a little bit annoying, especially if you aren't entirely sure what rule you're talking about, and especially if you get the rule wrong, because it will just throw off new players. And this is why I shut up in games when other people are teaching them. You know, somebody might bring out the game and want to teach the game themselves, at which point, unless they ask me to clarify a specific rule, or if I specifically know that they have got a rule wrong and I can prove it to them, I will shut up during the rules explanation and let them get on with it because hearing multiple takes on the rules will only confuse people. But, ooh, this one can irk me all that. So you don't like a backseat driver, I don't like a backseat teacher either. But number three is unique. Yes, this didn't appear on Z, Tom's, or Sam's list, but this is a very annoying type of player. And I know it sounds a little bit harsh. You know, I'm not saying I hate these people, but this is, I don't know what to call them. This is the guy, and I know I say guy a lot. I mean it for both genders, okay? You know, I'm not being specific here. But this is the person who needs babysitting constantly. Now, some people are, you know, they take a while to learn a game. That's fine. That's all well and good. Sometimes a game's a little bit complex for you and you need a lot of help. But at some point, you kind of need to learn how to make a decision by yourself. Maybe these are the indecisive people. You know, the ones who, no matter how simple the game is, you know, I have taught games of Takinoko to players who should easily be able to grasp the basics of something like Takinoko. Yeah, there may be one or two rules that are a bit fiddly, but when you have to explain a rule to them every single turn... You know, you've already had 10 turns in the game where you've done the same thing over and over again and you constantly have to remind them of every single turn and give suggestions on what they should do on their turn because they, for some reason, just can't accept that it's a learning game and that they should just go with the flow. Every time I teach a game, I always tell people, look, pick a theme, pick a strategy, pick something you enjoy, go with it, don't deviate, see what happens. That's a perfect learning game. If you're playing Seven Wonders, choose a colour of card. Try munchkin it. If you're playing Viticulture, decide whether you want to do expensive wines or cheap wines. Go with whichever one you like. You know, and all sorts of things like that. So when you constantly have to babysit someone to the point where you can't take your eyes off them for one second in case they suddenly switch off and go, yeah, it really gets annoying. But that's only half the problem. Because I have played with some people who need babysitting like this, and you mess up your own game because you're constantly having to think about their game as well, and then they win. So you end up babysitting them so much that you tank your own ability to win the game, 
they end up winning, and then they think it's all down to them. The ones who will literally sort of think, oh, you know, I've played this before, but yeah, yeah, I won or something. It's like, yeah, you won because I spent the entire game literally holding you by the hand as you walk through this bamboo garden with a panda eating everything, and you suddenly decide that it's your own brilliance that has made you win this game with no acknowledgement for the help you've got? Oh, I hate this a lot. You know, definitely a top three thing, but ah, I don't see it as often as my number one and number two, which is why it's made my number three. But, oh my god, yeah, if you if you want to be babysit for a game, fine. But don't suddenly then decide that you are the best ever just because you won the game. And to be fair, just pick something and go with it. You know, don't worry about your first game too much. But you must be able to make your own decisions at one point. Because if you can't make your own decisions when you're literally just playing a board game, then what are you doing in your normal day-to-day life? Seriously, I don't know. It's a personal nitpick, that one, but it's one that whenever I see it, it's like, seriously, come on, we've done this 20 times now, you should have got it by the 16th. You know, repetition is one of the best ways you can learn in this day and age, so surely repeating something like 10 to 20 times is enough for it to stick in your head, but nope, some people literally need to be coddled through their first game. My number two and my number one I see far more often when I'm playing games, which is why they overtook my third one, despite the fact that the third one can really irk me at times. But this one is so common. We've seen it all the time. It can drive many people nuts. And I will not, you know, I'm not completely naive. I have fallen victim to this on occasion, depending on the game or my state of mind. This is the slow player. The analysis paralysis person. The one who literally cannot make a decision in a game without contemplating every single possible move and then still can't decide which one is the better move for fear of doing something wrong. I have fallen victim to this on occasion. I have to put my hand up and say. Now, I'm rarely the analysis paralysis player, though. I will say this. I can usually come up with the plan during other people's turn and then go on with it on my turn. Or if I have to think tactically, like I can't start thinking until then, I will usually come up with an idea pretty quick, and even if it's not the most optimal thing to do, I'll get on and do it and see what happens. It's more fun that way. But some people, you know, it will literally, I mean, you play games like Five Tribes and stuff like that with these kind of people, and oh my god, you're in for a world of pain. Especially just most Euros. You know, Euros with people that I know at AP when they get invited to the game by the inviter from earlier. Oh, I just know I'm in for a bad way. And it can tank a game for you, because you'll take your turn in, like, a few seconds, they'll take their turn in about 20 seconds, they'll take theirs in about 30, then you get to the AP player, and five minutes later, you are still waiting for them to take their turn, because they are unable to make a simple decision between something like, you know, if you take if you take the blue pill. Yeah, imagine if Neo from The Matrix was an AP player. It took him, like, forever to decide between the blue and red pill. Especially if you sort of went... You take the blue pill, you win one million dollars, the game, and you will be emperor of the world. You take the red pill, and you will die a horrible, painful death, usually with some means of torture beforehand. Okay, which one do you choose? And they can sit there for 20 minutes to debate which one is the better of the two choices. It's, ugh, it's painful in a lot of games, Euros especially. 
Amerifrash doesn't tend to be an issue because Amerifrash games tend to be quite quick or the goes tend to be quite quick. You don't have to think forever, but oh, Euro games with AP players, particularly if the game is a simple Euro, you know, something like Splendor, for example. Splendor is a pretty straightforward Euro game in how to play it. But oh my god, you can get some people that can drag that one out for so long because they just can't decide what to do with their gems. You know, I've been guilty of this on times with the really, really heavy games, but, you know, most of the time I'm usually alright with it. And other people, you know, fair play. Not everybody's comfortable with games, not everybody's able to instantly think of ideas, but then if you know that you're a bit of a slow player and it takes you a while to get the complexities then don't play those games or work your way up to those games. You know, do a stepping stone, but don't suddenly jump into some three-hour heavy monstrosity when the heaviest game you've ever played is, I don't know, Catan. You know, then you're not going to matter. You're not going to do so well. So we've all met these people. We could all name probably a good 10 people that fall under this category, but it can get annoying sometimes. The AP player. And finally, number one. This one infuriates me beyond measure, and I'm sure it gets on everybody's wick. This is something that you have to drill out of a child when they are in their toddler age, or when they're a young, you know, a young child, you know, getting up to 10 years old. You have to drill this out of their subconscious early, because if it is still anywhere in their subconscious by the time they get to adulthood, oh my god, I don't want to play games with these people. And this is the whiner. The sore loser. The person who just thinks that the world is against them at every opportunity. So that as soon as you touch them in a game, they'll whine about it. You know, why are you being at me? I'm not even winning. He's winning. Go for him. It's like, seriously, I mean, it's, it's the tone of voice that really grates. You know, that, that little pitch. When they reach that pitch that it feels like nails on a chalkboard, it's really grating. And it's just not something an adult should have to put up with because we are adults. We're, it doesn't matter, well, it doesn't matter if you're 18, 20, 33, 65, you know, we're all adults. Surely we should be beyond the point when sore losing is a factor. And I've come across some belters. Oh my god. I mean, there are some people I know that will just whine constantly when something attacks them in a game or when things aren't going their way. It's like, Remember, it's only a game. How often do I need to say this at the end of every single podcast and review? Uh, and the sore loser, the one who thinks that the only reason they lost is because the world apparently just hates him, you know, is like, oh, well, I could have won this if, you know, the rapture didn't happen across the street. No, seriously, you lost the game. Someone was better than you. Or maybe the luck of the die just didn't like you that day. But at the end of the day, it's a game. It's only a game. Stop your whining. You are not six years old. You can be more mature than this. And oh, some people you just think have literally just been in their mother's basement all their life and never actually interacted with a human being ever. So like when they come out and start being such a whiny person, the one who you think they're in danger of flipping the table at one point just because they're losing, whew. It boggles my mind that some people are still like this. And it's okay to make the odd jip, you know, during a game where you're, you've been attacked and it's like, why are you going after me? Right. Oh yeah, I'm going to get you back for that. You know, you know, you're going to destroy everything I've worked so hard to do. You know, when you ham it up a bit, it's not so bad. I've done that on occasion. 
you know, if I'm getting shot first in Bang the Dice game or something, then, yeah, it sucks to be out first, but, you know, you just laugh at it or you ham it up or, you know, I always quite u like using the, uh, oh, what's his name, uh, the Claw, Dr. Claw or something from uh, Inspector Gadget. I'll get you next time, Gadget. Next time. You know, that's all for it. You just ham it up and just have a laugh with it, but, oh, my God, the ones who are just kids. The ones who never drilled it out of their system where they were a kid, you know, they, they played far too many games with Monopoly with the family and just ran away screaming every time that someone bought Mayfair from them. And somehow in their adulthood, they're still like that. I can't imagine anybody who likes playing with a person like this. I know I don't do it, or I certainly don't think I've done it. I certainly hope I haven't. But yeah, the sore loser, the whiny person, this can really get painful during games, you know. Remember, it's only a game. Whew, that was exhausting. Well, like I said, top 10 annoying gamers, but this was slightly tongue-in-cheek, okay? I'm not naming specific people, I'm not saying that. If you display any of those 10 traits, I don't want to play games with you ever again. Well, actually, maybe the whiny sore loser, maybe that I might draw a line. But, you know, the rest of them, we come across them. There's AP players, there's ones who won't pay attention to the rules. And, yes, it can sort of devalue the experience of a board game. But at the end of the day, you can still have fun. You won't always have the perfect group to play games with all the time. Particularly someone, in my case, who will teach new players games on a regular basis. You're going to meet all sorts of characters. But this is not meant to be a rant against gamers, you know, the, this is like a minority anyway. The majority of the board game community are great people, great fun to play games with, you know, new, old, young and old, new and whatever, veteran, you know, well, I'm going all over the place. But it's, we got a good community of people, so you don't tend to see these sort of like annoying gamers that often. But when you do, yeah, it can irk people and we sure, I'm sure we've got a list of that we could easily do, but this was more of a tongue-in-cheek episode just to, you know, whip out before I head to Devon. So I'm going to sign off now, get all my odds and sods done, and make my way to Devon tomorrow. Hopefully I won't be exhibiting any of these 10 traits when I start playing games this week, and, well, I know who I'm going with, so I know they won't exhibit these traits too much either. You know, they're great people that I get to have fun playing games with for a whole week in sunny Devon, back in the West Country, you know, my neck of the woods, where I can, uh, you know, not that I've got a problem with Portsmouth and Hampshire and that, but you know what? I'm from the West Country. I do miss it. And the first thing I'm going to do when I head down there is I'm going to head down to Dawlish. I'm going to see my childhood area and reminisce about the nostalgic feeling that I had when I used to go to Dawlish on a regular basis as a kid, doing boat racing down the stream and all that. And the first shop I'm pointing into is... I hope it's still there, I forget its name, but it served the best Devonshire clotted cream ice cream ever. Oh, I'm drooling all just thinking about it. But that's it for me. So take care, enjoy your weekend, I hope it's as sunny as it is here, and remember, as I've said many a time before, it's only a game. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can check out more material from The Broken Meeple at my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find me on Facebook or see my Twitter handle at The Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, feel free to come along to one of our fortnightly Wednesday board gaming clubs, Portsmouth On Board. Search for us on meetup.com or Facebook for more information. 
Occasional support for the Broken Meeple comes in the form of review copies of games, from distributors such as Estevium Games and from retailers such as Chaos Cards, where you can find great games at great prices at chaoscards.co.uk. Thanks again, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower Network, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like The Long View or The Geek All-Stars. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.